point of our entire series. I am who he says that I am. Hey guys, I am so excited, you know, that you are here on this day. I'm excited for those of you who are watching online. Before we jump in, you know, to what we're talking about today, as I told you last week, we are taking two special offerings every single year. Uh, one is Christmas time where 100% goes outside the walls and, and Steve just did a great job just talking through that and you've heard of some of the celebrations that God is doing. Uh, and then the second offering that we take that's special is on uh, Mother's Day and it's usually towards a strategic initiative that God through His Spirit is leading us to participate in that's going to continue to reach people for Jesus one person at a time. And so this year, uh, it's going to be very familiar to some of you if you've been around here for a little while, because we're calling it once again, Pave the Way. Pave the Way. Uh, and what we're planning on doing, you know, is on this Mother's Day, uh, it'll create a lot of the seed money that'll allow us to move forward in four specific areas. Uh, first is that we are planning uh, to expand the lobby approximately three to 4,000 square feet. Push it out a little bit because one of the core values of our church is relational connection. And what we find is uh, we kind of cow herd you out of here and in the wintertime you run to your cars because there's no place to gather. And so it's an opportunity for us to continue to connect relationally with one another. Uh, secondly, uh, we know that God has done an incredible work in and through our kids and youth ministry. And so we're going to theme out our kids area. And so we have a desire uh, to continue to reach all of the families that are moving into this area and provide an opportunity where kids want to invite other kids to come to services. In addition, we're going to add an indoor playground, a very large uh, indoor playground. In fact, uh, if you've been over to Post Falls Real Life Ministries, there was more unconnected people that have participated in their indoor playground than in almost anything else that they have created. What an opportunity to love our community and be a resource to our community, you know, as well. Lastly, uh, we're hoping these resources will help us to connect a road that is in progress that we've worked with CVSD, the county, and some of the development over here to the north side of our property. Property, and that is a road that will go out from here to Henry Road. And what that will allow us to do is for those of you who live in the Liberty Lake area and those who houses are moving in right here, it creates another access point to what we believe God is leading us to do, which is we continue to invite and reach people the potential of actually then expanding and adding to our auditorium in the near future. And so with that, you know, we have a goal we've kind of thrown out there of around $500,000 that we're trying to raise to see God begin to do, you know, some of this. Now it costs more, everything that I mentioned, if you know anything about building prices and that, we've, we've specifically chosen things that we believe are going to really connect people back to what God is doing on site here at Barker. Now, because of the elders' oversight and our financial stewardship, we want to continue to be diligent with saving up resources in order to do this. And I'm so excited to be able to announce to you guys that over the last two years, we have been diligently saving. If you ever have an income in your own household and you're trying to prepare for something, we have over $1 million that has already been given by you guys for this project. Isn't that amazing? We have just been 
every month being doers and stewards of what God has, has given to us and entrusted us, and we know that God is leading, and so we know that, and then we're going to take this offering, and we're just going to see what God's going to do. And so I just want to give you that opportunity to be able to pray and plan as we move forward. Now, as most of you know, uh, we are in this series that we're calling Death to Selfie. It's our identity series, which is the search for meaning, value, and purpose in life. We're calling it Death to Selfie because we're not supposed to figure this out on our own, that there's a different way and a different process, you know, to where we're processing all of this stuff. Now, as you know, this week, we're going to be talking about, you know, how uh, in our culture, especially, and even in the church, a lot of times we identify ourselves by our gender or sexuality. And so we want to walk through and say, how are we supposed to come to terms with what God has to say, or where do we actually, you know, hear or understand our identity as it pertains to those issues? Now, for those of you who are watching online, or those of you in the room, uh, this isn't going to be a PG-13, but it is a subject matter that we just want to make sure you're aware of in case you got kids, you know, running around the living room and you don't want them to kind of walk through the subject. We want to be sensitive, you know, to that as well. The other thing that I want to tell you and ask from you is grace. Okay. Can you give me a little grace? Please, please, please don't parcel out my words. Please don't do what the world does and ascribe intent or cast judgment or cancel me without further dialogue and relational conversation. In fact, if there are things that we're going to say that are going to upset you, my challenge for you if you're a follower of Christ is go to God first and then let's engage in a relational conversation. Uh, and then the other thing I want to remind you of is uh, I have 30 minutes. There's no way in 30 minutes I'm able to fully unpack and unveil what God has to say about this issue. Now, I do want us to commit to James 1.19. Understand this, my brothers and sisters, you must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. So quick to listen uh, means just pause and just say, God, I'm open to what I want to hear from you. Slow to speak. I recognize that I'm the one that's up here that's speaking, but you know instantly in your mind, you might already be thinking and processing through or whispering to your neighbor, and you might miss something. And then lastly is slow to anger. And the reason that's important is how easily can we listen, how easily can we dialogue what God wants to say to us if we're washed over in anger? So let's just kind of be slow to anger in case there's some emotion that rises up. We all in agreement? If you're in agreement online, push OK and let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for what we're going to be able to walk through. Uh, Lord, we just thank you for just the ability to, to decipher and, and hear clearly from you. We ask your spirit to lead and guide. We just open our hearts and minds to you. In this place, online, and in the coming moments, days, weeks, and months, and years ahead. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, let's start with the reality we find ourselves in. All of us struggle with identity at some level. We just do. That's why we're going through this series. I, I heard a lot uh, from you guys last week. They're like, man, that's something that I struggle with as well. So all of us struggle at some level with identity. Where I find my identity will determine how I view my gender and sexuality. Okay? Where I find my identity actually will determine how I view. So let me be clear. What we're talking about in this day isn't a gender or sexuality issue. It's an identity issue. 
If you go to the core behind this, then you'll say, okay, it's out of the core that we actually then discover, realize, or found a foundation when it comes to the expression of our gender as well as our identity. For example, we talked last week about how this gets played out in what I do. Who I am is my identity. What I do is an expression of that identity. If I flip-flop those, and my identity is in what I do instead of who I am, then I find myself in life being very excited or very disappointed, depending on my successes or failures when it comes in life. And so where do you choose to find your identity? There's only two places. One is the world. You and the world get to decide your identity, or the second is through God. And you and I, God has given us this, get a chance to choose. So let me start with a common story as it pertains to gender and sexuality. Uh, There's hypothetically a girl who grows up in a broken home with just mom and her siblings, uh, and she doesn't happen to like girl things. In other words, she doesn't like dolls, she doesn't like things that are pink, she doesn't like dresses, and instead plays with boy things, whatever those things are. Her friendships tend to be all guys. In fact, she feels much more comfortable hanging out with guys than she does with girls. Now, as she enters her teenage and puberty years, what is she counseled, or what is she supposed to think or believe about her gender or identity when it comes to sexuality? The answer to that in someone's formative years all depends on where she is getting that identity from. That's what we're talking about. It's where. Again, two places. The world's way to discover your identity is this. Who you are, the way you think about yourself, the way you are viewed by the world, and the characteristics that define you. And so I'm going to trust that you have incredible intellectual capacity to walk through just for a few moments uh, a guy that I truly respect and admire, who I think has done a great work for the kingdom of God, and his name is Tim Keller. But he is a brilliant man, and sometimes his words can go boop. So I need you to kind of process in. I'm going to try to slow down, but I need you to put your thinking caps on, like they used to tell me when I was in high school. Tim Keller says, when it comes to the world's way of discovering your identity, he calls this the therapeutic self. In fact, he just tweeted about this not but two days ago in my preparation for this message today, and I'm like, all right, God, this is extremely helpful and affirming. It says, the modern therapeutic self is a recent approach to identity. We are to look within at our desires, especially our sexual ones, and then determine, based on Freud's concept, or create, based on Falkolt's concept, who we are, not allowing anyone else to validate or define us or make us feel guilty. We are then to demand that the world affirm our expression of ourselves. Anyone who questions our self-view is by definition doing violence, questioning our very existence, and denying us agency. When the therapist says, don't let anyone tell you who you are, you decide who you are, at that moment, he or she is ironically imposing a very individualistic Western way of understanding identity on the patient as if it is the only approach possible. 
So what he is saying in layman's terms is that the person is bought into the world's way, how I feel, how I discover, how I come to grips with what I believe is right based on my gender, based on my sex, based on my sexual orientation, and based on my sexuality. Tim Keller goes on to point out, the problem with this approach in finding and discovering our identity is number one, is that you cannot discover a real you by looking at your changing and contradictory inner feelings. If you live your life by your feelings, you are going to determine who you are in one second one day, and the next day it's going to be completely something different, because if you've lived life longer than a day, you know that your feelings can change over time. He says problem number two is that the modern identity is highly performative. Meaning you realize your inner dreams and desires or constantly perform the suffering in which you think you're going through. This leads to fragility and a need for constant reaffirmation. No wonder any criticism at all is crushing or feels controlling. And so why should we believe or accept this understanding of identity? In other words, what people are being taught today, you discover you, whatever you feel must be true to you, and you need to go down those lines. Or as I'm watching your behavior and how you're acting or interacting, let me help tell you what you are based on that time frame, whatever that frame may be in life. That is one way to discover where my identity can come from. The other option is God's way. God's way to discover, discover our identity is seeing ourselves through his eyes. What was the creator's intent? What is the creator God's purpose? And we will discover our identity in him. Tim Keller then writes this, Christian's deepest identity is in Christ who loves and accepts us counter conditionally despite all our flaws. In other words, he loves us while we're still jacked up. That would be Dan's version. Tim Keller just says it on a much smarter way. So Christian identity is received and not achieved, taking enormous pressure off of us to perform and merit our affirmation. Most of the criticisms of the biblical sex ethic assume the modern therapeutic self as a given. It is assumed as self-evident to all when clearly it is not. There are different approaches. So here's what I want to say, and I know there's a lot of intellectual understanding as we kind of walk through this beginning, but I think it's a basis, and so let me just sum it up simply. The most important question for you and I to answer when it comes to gender, sex, sexuality, sexual sin, all that kind of stuff, is this simple five-word question. Ready? Is Jesus Lord of my life? Is he Lord of my life? Now, from this point on, if you are not a follower of Jesus, most of the rest of the message that I'm going to be talking to does not apply to you. You get a chance to kind of sit back, watch, and observe. In no way, shape, or form am I or we casting judgment on what you have chosen when it comes to being apart from Christ. But if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, the question is, is he Lord of your life? Because then that changes everything. Because we have said the same verse three weeks in a row now. 
if you've been keeping track. Because this is the core. In Galatians 2.20, my old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. Death to selfie. It is no longer about me. It's about me conforming to my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, allowing his spirit to live in me and conforming me into his image. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. If Jesus is Lord, then what I think, what I feel, what others tell me is secondary to what Jesus thinks and what Jesus feels about me. I put myself on the shelf and I conform to what he says. Because it's not about me when I make Jesus Lord. One of the ways to, to kind of process this is if you've ever been on a sports team, or if you've ever signed up with a sports team, you are voluntarily submitting to the coaches. Uh, oversight of you as a player. They get to tell you which position you're going to play. They get to tell you when the practices are. They get to tell you actually how you practice. Now imagine for a second, you come to the coach and say, I don't feel like doing that. I want to play this position and not that position. I want to show up to practice when I want. And when I feel like coming, that's when I'll go. You won't be on the team long because it makes no sense. You voluntarily chose to be a part of that team, which means that you're voluntarily submitting yourself to what the coach thinks is best for that team, even though we live in an individualistic society. It's the same thing when it comes to your job, right? At some point, you have agreed in principle to get a paycheck based on the job description that you agreed to. If you were to say, I don't feel like doing this anymore. I don't feel like being in this role. I want to be CEO. I want to do all these other things. They're looking at you like, bye-bye. There's no point in actually keeping you employed because you don't get to be the one to decide the rules. You have voluntarily submitted yourself based on the benefit that you receive in order to actually work in that environment. How much more so when it comes to answering the question, if Jesus is Lord, then it's no longer about me, and it's my job to conform to him and what he says about all areas of my life, including my gender as well as my sexuality. That's not easy. It's one thing to say, it's another thing to do. In fact, if Jesus is my Lord, then I am who God says that I am. Which is why we sang that powerful song. If Jesus is Lord, then I am, my identity is in who he says that I am. And so Jesus, this is what he says. And again, talking to Christians who are ascribing by this commitment and following Jesus as Lord. Jesus created us specifically with our gender for a reason. For a reason. Matthew 19, 4, Jesus says, haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the creator made them male and female. See, God created you with talents. He created you with gifts. And one of the things that he created with you is your gender. Now, we are equal, but we are different and being different is good. We can complement and bring different things into each other's lives based on the gender in which God has given us. And what a gift to be able to bring into this world. 
Also, Jesus gets to decide how and with whom his created sexuality is to be expressed. So what does he say? Not as what does Dan say, what does Jesus say through his word? Now I'm gonna rapid fire this at this time because there are dozens of other scriptures that I just don't have the time to cover. And so I just wanted to get you the gist of what he's trying to say. Uh, For example, when Jesus talks about the institution of marriage, we didn't come up with it. I know we think we did, God's the one that created it. He's the one that said it, and Jesus affirms it in Matthew 19, verse 5. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is God's design for marriage, which is affirmed by Jesus. Since they are no longer two but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. What he's saying is that there's an emotional, a physical, and a spiritual connection that takes place with his created desire for marriage. And what an incredible and a hard gift that is. If any of you guys have ever been married, you know what exactly what I'm talking about. Matthew 19 then says this. Uh, I'm sorry. Then uh, it says this in Matthew 15, verse 19. For from the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, all sexual immorality, theft, lying, and slander. Now, Jesus says this as an expression. He says, the core issue of our identity is our hearts. And out of the hearts, these things take place. Uh, There is a statement that goes around that says, hey, Jesus never addressed gender. He never addressed sexual immorality. He never addressed specifics when it comes to some of the issues that we're facing. The problem with that argument is that Matthew is the writer that we get Jesus' words from. Matthew's purpose in writing is to a Jewish audience. When Jews are listening to Jesus and Jesus says the word sexual immorality, they instantly know what he's talking about because they have been trained in the Old Testament scriptures. So they know instantly that he doesn't have to list out all of the things that Jesus says is out of bounds because it hurts our relationship with him and it hurts our relationship with other people. And so they would instantly know the following things that are mentioned in the Old Testament when it comes to sexual immorality. These are things like adultery, fornication, which we would say premarital sex, bestiality, which is sex with animals, sex with family members, homosexuality, and the list goes on. We also know, as we look into the New Testament, that sexual immorality includes lust, which is pornography. We know this includes rape, molestation, pedophilia, and the classifications continue. All of those are lumped in equally when it comes to what Jesus is saying when it comes to sexual immorality. So how do we deal with that? We deal with the heart. And as I went through that list, I'm guessing we could probably relate to one of those things that we too might struggle with when it comes to sexuality. In fact, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, Paul's writing to Christians, okay? This is not written to non-Christians. Paul is writing to the Christians in Ephesus, at the church in Ephesus, and this is what he says, Imitate God. For those of you who proclaim him as Lord, imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. That is your identity. We just sang about it. We are children of God. You are a child of God. So live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. And then he says, let there be no sexual immorality. What is that? 
porn, molestation, rape, premarital sex, adultery, divorce, the grounds you know, uh, uh, that pertain to adultery, homosexuality, and the like. Impurity or greed amongst you. Such sins have no place. Where? Among God's people. He's talking about the people of God who've decided to join the team of God to make Jesus the Lord over all of our lives. That's what he's emphasizing. First Corinthians chapter six. Don't you, who's you? You who are those who are in the church in Corinth. That's who he's writing to. Those who are professing to following Jesus as Lord and Savior. Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge, doesn't say those who struggle or those who fight against. He says those who indulge in sexual sin or worship idols or commit adultery or are male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or are thieves or greedy people or drunkards or abusive or cheat people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Some of you were once like that, but you were cleansed. That's your identity now in Christ. You were made holy. You were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. In fact, I would just encourage you to read that rest of that chapter. There is so much richness in what he is writing to those people who are also struggling with their identity and their sexual expression. Galatians chapter 5. There's another church written to church people, people again who are following Jesus and made him Lord. Follow the, he says, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, uh, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I've said before, that anyone living, this is those actually engaging with and not struggling, no remorse whatsoever, that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. Two more quick ones. First Thessalonians chapter four, God's will is for you. Who? Those who are in the church in Thessalonica, who have submitted themselves to professing followers of Jesus Christ, who made him Lord. God's will for you is to be holy, so stay away from all sexual sin. Then each of you will control his own body and live in holiness and honor, not in lustful passion like the pagans who do not know God in his ways. And then 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 21. Yes, I'm afraid that when I come again, God will humble me in your presence and I will be grieved because many of you have not given up your old sins. You have not repented of your impurity, sexual immorality, in eagerness for lustful pleasures. Over and over and over, there is a theme. So you need to understand, making Jesus Lord doesn't mean that struggles or feelings in life will go away. We all struggle There's always struggle when it comes to sexuality for the vast majority of people on this side of eternity. So even when you and I don't feel like we fit with our gender, even when we feel ourselves desiring to engage in things like pornography or premarital sex or living together before getting married or adultery or homosexuality, we might have certain strong inclinations and struggles and feelings, but we have to choose to abstain and follow the Lordship of Jesus in our lives. And it's not easy, it's hard. And we're not picking on anyone because we're all in the same boat when it comes to sexuality. In fact, here's the wrestle that you and I go through that Paul talks about in Romans chapter 7. You know, he talks about, you know, although I want to do good, 
He goes, evil's right there with me, for in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law that is work within me. For in my inner being, I delight, but I see this other law, this waging war against the law of my mind to make me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. So he's saying, here's the struggle. Here's the wrestle. I am tempted. I am struggling. I am going through all of these things. What a wretched man I am. So who will save me from this body that is subject to death? And then he says, thanks to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. You and I will keep struggling, but we keep turning to Jesus in and through and beyond and then overcoming the struggles that we have on this side of life. All of us deal at some point in our lives. I've yet to find someone who doesn't deal with sexuality and trying to conform to God's image of that we all have that. We all like, don't like to talk about it. Like, no, 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 no. We're not talking about one sin over another sin. We're saying all of us have sinned. All of us need to conform to what Jesus has called us to conform. In fact, if I can sum it all up, I would sum it up in Jesus' words in Matthew 9, 23. Then Jesus said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, death to selfie, and follow me. That's what he's saying. He's saying it's not about you anymore, me anymore. It's not about what I think, what I believe, what I feel. It's about just denying myself and saying, Jesus, I'm going to follow you. Why? Because you gave everything so that I could have life. I could have life on this side and I could have life eternity. You know, uh, in fact, um, this last week, I, I don't know, slipping through Netflix and uh, watched an old um, uh, movie, uh, Saving Private Ryan. How many of you guys have seen Saving Private Ryan? Okay, same by Ryman. And it was just a great stark reminder again that the whole premise of the movie is this person's life was spared. It actually cost other people's lives in order for this life to live. And the whole movie actually starts with the end, which is him coming near the end of his life, wondering that if he had lived an honored and a good life based on the sacrifice of others. How much more so with the sacrifice that Christ has given us do we have to die to our wishes, our desires, our sinful struggles in order to make him Lord because of what he's done? It's not an obligation, it's an honor. But it doesn't mean we don't struggle. So the next defining question, after we ask the question, is Jesus Lord of my life? And only you can answer that. Is second, this one might be even harder, do I trust that Jesus has my best in mind, even if I feel or think differently? That's hard. Right? Do I trust that he loves me that much, even though I might think or feel differently? Will I trust and choose to trust Jesus as Lord who created my gender, even if I feel or think differently? Will I choose to trust Jesus as Lord, even if I might feel or think different sexually? See, what should our response be? So I want to engage now those of you who are not yet followers of Christ, in case you're watching online or otherwise, because there is no judgment, there is no condemnation, there is none of that coming from us. And I know the label and I know the heartache that you have been caused, and I just want to apologize for many of the ways that Christians or the church has come across because it's wrong, and we need to confess our sin to you, and we need to confess our sin to God. 
And so how do we engage? How do we respond to those who've chosen not to embrace Jesus' view on gender and sexuality? So if you're watching right now, if you're connecting here in the room, here's supposed to be our response to other people who've chosen at this point not to submit to Jesus as Savior and Lord. This is our response. Number one, do not condemn or judge the world. That's not your job. That's God's. Stop it. There's, there is, this is so where Christians become so hateful and bigoted and anti. And the old um, guys on the street corners saying that if you're homosexual or whatever, you're going to hell and all that kind of stuff. We've gone away from the street corner. We've just gone on social media. It's just wrong. You know that way. Let me be clear. People are not condemned and they're not going to hell based on sexual orientation. People are condemned to eternal separation from God in hell, in hell based on what they do with Jesus. That's the difference, folks. Right? It's not us to decide. God's the judge. We judge one another in the confines of connection to Christ with the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is the one who decides. But if you've not ascribed to that, God gets to decide. He gets to be the one, and it's about Jesus. Uh, secondly, everyone is welcome here at Valley of Your Life. That's the posture that we're supposed to have. Jesus was known as someone who was a friend of sinners. Let me be very clear. You're a dirty sinner. And I'm chief among you. Okay? All of us are in that same boat. Never may we come across as better than or more holier than. The only difference might be is we have received the Savior and someone has not yet received him. Our job is to provide graceful, loving, accepting, and then truthful grace and truth. How does Jesus deal with those who've not yet connected to him when it comes to sexuality and sexual sin? Go back to the story of the woman caught in the act of adultery. He reaches down to her and he says, neither do I accuse you, neither do I condemn you. Grace, but go and sin no more. Truth, you don't bend the truth, you start with grace. That's what God has always called us to do. We want to provide that kind of community. Number three, we've got to build relational bridges outside these walls. We have to build relational bridges. See people that God died for just like he died for you and me. Are we engaging in love and connection? In fact, those who have gone on this journey, you guys have kids, you have relatives, you have friends who have chosen not to follow God's way. The idea is to give them a long runway. Think of the prodigal son who decides that even though some of you may have taught them differently, even though you've raised them differently, they have gone and they have wandered from what they have been taught. Did the father run after, chastise, or call shame out? No, he waited for the son to return. And he prayed often. Here's what I know, because I know myself and I know people. People feel shame in a lot of areas of our lives. People feel shame in divorce. People feel shame in adultery. People feel shame in pornography. People have felt inner shame in transgender and homosexuality. But there is acceptance, love, and community provided in Christ as we allow people to come, to experience, and then submit to his lordship in our and their lives. That's what it's about. The next one, because I know some of you guys are thinking this, is yes, we are to stand up for what's right, 
but to do so with gentleness and respect. 1 Peter 3.15 says, But in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But how are we supposed to do this? With gentleness and respect. The R90 sex ed bill came out. And I told you that I would be sitting down because we have a relationship with Ben Small, who's the superintendent of the CV Unified School District. And it went incredibly well. In fact, uh, this week, in light of what we're talking about this weekend, uh, you're going to be receiving you know, an email from the elders this, uh, this, this coming week that deals with now our conversation response and it gets you up to date with what's going on in our local schools and school districts. But here's one thing that I need to tell you that I was very disappointed about. There was at least one person who identified themselves as someone who is from VRL and believes in Jesus who left a voicemail for Ben and told him that he was Hitler. That is not how we respond. There is no gentleness and there's no respect. And he was quite hurt by whomever that was. And I tried to get out of it. I was I want to know who. I said, and he goes, I can't tell you. I said, I want to know, you know, right now. But he, he, wouldn't, he wouldn't tell me. Get involved. Vote. Attend when those opportunities. Run for school board positions wherever you feel like it. Don't just be the person yelling at the darkness. Be the light that call it, Christ has called us into the darkness to represent him well. We have other resources to help come alongside you if you want to go on this journey this journey of grace and truth that we want to provide here at Valley Real Life. Let me give you a couple of them if this would be helpful. Uh, first, one of the best books that I've ever read on this is uh, from a friend of mine named Caleb Kaltenbach. He wrote the book called Messy Grace. You know, he was raised, you know, with gay parents and he became a pastor and he tries to figure out how do I do this and navigate this in a very messy family life and culture and all that kind of stuff. Phenomenal read. On site, we have things like divorce care. Okay, divorce care takes place on Monday nights at 6.30. If you've gone through divorce, if you've experienced adultery, you know, in your marriage and you had to go through divorce, there's an opportunity for healing and a journey because sexual sin had affected and hurt your relationship. We want to provide that for you. There's also something called peer desire. Peer desire is for those men struggling with pornography and unfaithfulness. This is also for men who may struggle with homosexuality. Guys, to be able to come and find freedom and break free from the struggle that holds us back from God's best in our lives. Pure desires on Monday night, Tuesday night, and Friday mornings. We have more and more men being a part of that. One of the greatest freedoms a man can have is being set free from sexual bondage. We also have betrayal and beyond. And that's on Tuesday nights at 6.30. This is for women who've been betrayed by their loved ones and need to find hope and healing from betrayal. We want to walk with you through that. In fact, I don't want you to hear this just from me. I want to hear a very brave couple called the Butners who are willing to open up themselves before all of you in order to be real, to let you know the struggle that they faced and how they're journeying and how God has healed and helped them when it came to some of the sexual sins in their marriage. So go ahead and take a look at their story now. We're one of a few couples that were high school sweethearts that are still married. So we're like, oh yeah, we're, we're making it. We're, we've arrived at the perfect marriage. <laughs> uh, 
yeah, lo and behold, that wasn't the case. Adam Heap gave a video testimony how he has struggled with a pornography addiction. He said the statistic was seven in 10 Christian men have viewed pornography in the last week, and he was talking right to me. My wife asked me, I wonder how many wives found out their husbands watch uh, pornography this last week? Do we have a problem? And that's when I disclosed to her that yes, I do struggle with uh, pornography. The moment when you find out about this, this secret or this darkness that's been in your relationship this whole time that you didn't realize, and it comes to the light, you want to clean it up, right? You, I think your reaction is like, how do I get rid of this, you know, this stain? That next week, I reached out to Adam Heeb, and we, we met uh, on, a, on a Tuesday afternoon, and then I went to a, a group that night. I was in tears. I thought that I had been struggling with this by myself, and there was a room full of guys whose addiction stories started the almost the exact same way mine did. I felt freedom knowing that uh, I wasn't the only man that was dealing with this. Stepping out of shame was so incredible for us and so freeing for us. I had moments where I thought, can I do this? Can I fight this fight? Can I wait patiently for recovery? And every time I just came back to what are our vows and what did, what commitment did I make to this man? And, and this is a relationship that I value beyond this sin or this stain. Since we've uh, dealt with our baggage and, and our, uh, our issues, and we've been open and honest uh, with our small group uh, about what we've been through, that it allows us to then pour into others and to disciple others who might be struggling in their marriage. I knew the majority of those guys probably had a spouse or a girlfriend that was feeling the same things I did. So it really opened the door for Michael to step into leadership at Pure Desire, and then for me to bring the Betrayal and Beyond curriculum here and offer that to ladies in our community. If you struggle with pornography or if you struggle with lustful eyes, there are other guys that struggle with that as well. Find another brother to talk to, whether it's you reach out to Adam or any other pastors on staff, they can point you in the right direction to get you the help that you need. Can we give it up for the Buteners, just being honest and open? <clears throat> I know we've gone over time, but there's just a couple little things of help left. Uh, the other, this fall, we're so excited you know, to be able to launch a brand new help called Eight Pillars of Freedom. It's going to start this fall, and it is for specifically for women who struggle with pornography and need to be free from that bondage as well. It is the number one most fastest growing demographic when it comes to pornography, and we want to be a church that walks and heals and helps and brings freedom. Overall, Celebrate Recovery, you know, is the place, you know, where we have a chance to come and uh, be excited, you know, as you can see about any hurt, habit, or hang-up that we cannot overcome or struggle with on our own. And so those who are struggling maybe with gender confusion, we want to encourage you to take place Monday nights, 6.15 for dinner, 7 p.m. for worship. Lastly, we know that there are so many questions and so many deep things that I cannot answer here and some things that are just, we're not going to be able to get through even the time together. We have pastors, but I probably have to say more importantly, we've got two licensed professional counselors who would love to meet 
to walk through and talk about whatever sexuality, gender, or whatever thing that you're struggling with. We want to provide help and hope, and that's Molly and Sarah, and they're amazing. They're amazing in some of the things they provide. So as we wrap up, our identity, once again, comes from two areas on today's subject. Is Jesus Lord? Is he Lord? Then we then submit to that lordship when it comes to his design, his creation, and his best for our lives, which secondly, will we trust and entrust our gender and sexuality in all its forms to God's will and God's way, knowing that he wants what's best for you and he wants what's best for me. He's the one that created sex and sexuality in the first place, guys. We kind of forget that sometimes when it comes to our day and age. So we all struggle with identity. Where will you choose to find and live out his definition for your identity in this life, in your life this week? That's the question that you got to wrestle with. So we're going to go into a quick time of prayer. And for some of you, this is going to be a time of confession to be able to say, God, I've kind of kept this kind of secret in my life when it comes to my sexuality or what I've experimented with or been involved with. And I want to confess it to you if you're a follower of Christ. And if you're not a follower of Christ, Jesus is inviting you to experience what he has for you and to know that some of the best that happens in us actually takes place as we go through the struggles that we face in this life. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for this time, for this moment. And I pray that you would just lead and guide every person who's watching online, every person who's in the room, to be able just to have a conversation with you. And that you would just lead and that we would be people who follow what you have to say. And if there's someone who's watching online, has not yet received you, may they know that you're uh, open arms, ready, willing to go on this journey. Lord, we love you and we thank you that our identity is found in you and you alone. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.